You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. Good morning, church. It's such a joy to be sharing the word of God with you this morning and such a joy to be bringing the final installment of our Galatians series. Who's enjoyed our Galatians series? Wonderful. Who's learned something new? Wave at me if you've learned something new. Who's heard something old but it feels new? Yeah, amazing. Many of us, I'm sure. It has been fantastic. We've been in Galatians for the last five weeks, so this is week number six. And we've been looking in the book of Galatians. And the big idea, the heart of this, is that freedom, freedom is found in Jesus Christ. And it is a life worth fighting for. That it doesn't just happen, but that it's a life worth fighting for. Now, I'm not going to go back through all of the five weeks. We've covered some amazing ground. But you can check out the YouTube channel. Maybe you already did. Maybe you went to somewhere and you just kind of were right mid-preach. And then you saw a video on how to do meal prep for the week. And you missed it. If that was you and you suddenly got sidetracked on YouTube because of the clever algorithms, go back and watch it. Maybe you started watching a video on lion versus tiger. Those sorts of videos always get me. Anyway, that's all. You can head back and check those out. What's the big idea been then? Well, this is Paul writing to a church in Galatia. And his big idea throughout these six chapters of Galatians, really at the heart of this, is he saying to these converts, mostly people who were Gentiles, so those that were not Jewish, he was saying to them, do not now think that you have to go and fulfill the Mosaic law for you to be made right with God. His big idea is that you've been made free in Christ, that we are justified. That is that we are made right, that we are put in right standing with God, not through any works of our own, but through the finished work of the cross. Because there was people around, people that were coming and saying, you must get circumcised, you must do this, and you must do that, and then you'll be right with God. And Paul said, no, who has bewitched you? This is a false gospel. When Jesus died on the cross, it was finished once and for all. But how easy is it then for us? We might think, okay, we're not the church in Galatia. It's all fine. But actually, what we need to understand is that there is thoughts and patterns and processes and our own flesh within us that is seeking to step away from the beauty and freedom and power of the gospel and step back into bondage and captivity. And so the big idea that Paul has been saying is that it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. Most beautifully put in Galatians 5.1 says exactly that. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. You know, when I was considering freedom, I was thinking about what it feels like to be trapped. I don't know if anyone's ever been trapped before. When I was considering this, I just started thinking about trivial examples, to be honest. I remember at the weekend away last year, I had a massive puffer jacket. It was really warm. And I did it right up to the top when I went on a walk. And then I couldn't undo the coat. And I walked inside. I was overheating. I know, this is dramatic, but bear with me. And I could not undo this coat, and I was trapped for at least five minutes, okay? And then I got free. Another example, I always think of this. Maybe, yeah, you just realize I'm a dramatic person now. 
We have a walk-in fridge here at church, okay? A walk-in fridge. It's amazing. If you've never seen one, open it. You can walk in. Fridge is huge. I go there to check the stock sometimes. But the thing is, I'm sure that door is possessed. No, it's not really. But that door always closes. And I always, like, what always goes into my head, like, you know, I'm trying to bring out some yogurts. And I'm suddenly thinking, what if I'm trapped here and just die a slow, painful death in a fridge? Imagine that. No, don't imagine that. That would be horrible. But there was a time in my life where we were, I was genuinely fearful because we were trapped. I, many of you will know I did my, some theological study and a ministry internship um, in an amazing country called Singapore with an incredible church out there. And coming to the end of my time, we got a, a bit of time for break. And being in Southeast Asia, we weren't far f- from some amazing places. And we went to Bali for a week. Uh, my friend and I and his cousin came as well. And uh, when we landed, the day that we landed, in the north of the island, a volcano erupted. Now, my mom had already said to me, I have a bad feeling about you going on this holiday. I was like, oh, mom, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. And then the, I heard news about the volcano. I was like, I should have trusted my mom. If you've got a discerning, prayerful mom, listen to her. And so we were on the island, and the days kind of passed by. We were only going to be there for five days. But when the volcano erupted, because of all the smoke and things that had been released, they shut the airport. So you can imagine a backlog of five days, thousands and thousands of people were at the airport. And we were kind of trying to enjoy ourselves and have a nice time. But always in the back of our minds, it was kind of like, are we going to get off this island? Are we going to get off this place? Now, you might think Bali's not the worst place in earth to be stuck. That would be very true. But actually, what began to grow in us was a fear that we wouldn't get back home. We were kind of looking. You start to Google weird things like, how far is it to swim from Bali to England? (laughs) Don't try that but just different ways, so you're free, so you're not trapped. And this is a miracle within itself. We, on day five, the airport reopened, and it was kind of down to the airlines, whether they wanted to fly. We went with the cheapest airline there could be, and we were like, never, they're never going to fly. And there was one flight back to Singapore, our airline that day, and it was our flight. By the grace of God, we made it home. That's the story for another day. But we were fearful. We were scared. I remember my friends and I, we gathered in our hotel room. We got down on our knees and we prayed. We were praying, Lord, heal our land. But we got home. Why do I tell this story? Well, one, to expose myself and my own fear. But also, when we are trapped, there's certain things that come along with that. Now, this is, there's more serious things than being trapped in a coat and thinking about a walk-in fridge. But if we're living in bondage in the way that God did not design us to live in a place of under the law, of not walking in the grace of the gospel. I think there's some symptoms of it. And one very simple one might be fear, but if you're a follower of Jesus here today, I've just been considering some of these things. And and maybe if you're still under the yoke of slavery, then actually you're feeling deeply unsatisfied in your faith. I think for me, that's a symptom of not being free in Christ. Feeling a heaviness about following Jesus. Thoughts like, am I really better off following Jesus? Thoughts that maybe actually it's just pointless to pursue him. We can grow a religious spirit when we live under the yoke of the law instead of the freedom of Christ. We start to become judgmental and harsh and joyless. Those that so exemplified this were the Pharisees, ones who 
met the law. On the outside, they were squeaky clean, but their hearts were so far from God. And Jesus so often rebuked these people. They were harsh. They were joyless. They were fearful. But the truth is, church, that Christ wants us to live in freedom. Amen? He wants us to live in freedom. And maybe you resonate with some of those things, some of those things that you think, I've lost a bit of my joy. This is starting to feel heavy. And that's not to say that the Christian walk is easy, but for freedom, Christ has set us free. So today, then, we're going to continue to just try and mine the riches of Galatians. And we're going to read Galatians 6 together as we close. So if you've got a Bible or a device, please turn there with me. It will also come on the screen, but we're going to read the whole chapter, and I'm going to be referencing back, so it would help you if you have it in front of you. So Galatians 6, and we'll read from verse 1 all the way through. I'm reading from the NIV, and it says this. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law Yet they want you to be circumcised, that they might boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. Amen. Wonderful. So much there, and we're going to try and, and draw some of those things out to understand how they're applicable and relevant to us today and what God might be saying to us. But firstly, I want to zoom in on, on verse 2. It says this, Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. And I'm going to focus on the first part of this a little later, but I want to ask, what is Paul saying here? What is he saying? Have we not just journeyed through Galatians to understand that we're not bound to the law 
and that the law is not what saves us or makes us worthy, that we're justified freely by the grace of God through the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Have we not just done that for five weeks? And Paul comes and says, in this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. So what is Paul talking about? Has Jesus kind of come in, kicked that law and said, you're free, but here's how you're bound. And some of us, we can kind of live like that. If we miss this and miss the message of the cross and miss the beauty of the gospel, we can still feel like Jesus just comes in and it just makes it harder. Paul is not suddenly changing what he is saying. He is reminding us by referencing the law of Christ that he's telling the church in Galatia that there is a new way now. He is finishing where he started as Dr. John did with helping us understand that there is a new way. The church in Galatia had a new way, and this, when we talk about law, would simply be understood as teaching or way, as we've spoken about. So today, if you're making notes, what our focus is going to be and what I want us to help understand a little bit more is that in Jesus Christ, there is a new law, a new law. That is my title for the day. So what is this new law What is the law of Christ? When we consider a way or the law, we have to look to the way of Jesus. This is the law of Jesus Christ. So what does Jesus have to say about the law? Well, he says a number of things, but most famously, Jesus gives a powerful summary of the law. He's he's asked by someone, one of the teachers of the law, they come to him and they ask him, what's the most important of the laws. We're going to read it together. It's going to come on the screen as well in Mark 12. And very famous for us, but really important that we take hold of this. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked them, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your strength and with all your mind. I got that wrong. With all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, there is no commandment greater than these. In response to a teacher of the law asking, what is the most important commandment? Jesus gave this response, to love God and to love others. And remember, this wasn't Jesus just saying this of the new way, but this was also God's summary in Christ of the entire law, including the Old Testament. Jesus isn't spitting on the Old Testament. He's looking back at it and saying the whole heart and intention for that was also that God would have a set-apart people for himself that would learn to love God and love people that would learn to be set apart for him. It has always been God's heart and God's intention. But Jesus has to come in a new way now to empower his people because the law showed us that all of us have fallen short, that in our own strength, none of us can make it or attain. So we have this law in Christ. But let me help us understand because when we hear this, sometimes we, we've rehearsed it so many times to love God and love people that it can lose its power and its significance. If you live your life striving and trying to work this out, believe me, this is no small statement to love God and love people. 
Even just to love the people around you. Maybe just to love the people in your household. How many agree that's hard enough? Someone like nudge there. <laughs> it's a challenge. But this is loving God and loving people on his terms, not on ours. And sometimes we can have a picture in mind, yeah, it's just to love God. That means I go to church on a Sunday. That's what it means to love God. Or to love people just means that I'm friendly and I'm not unkind. That's a great start. But to love God and love people in the law of Christ, we have to look what he says. And the heart, the posture of a follower of Jesus is to say, Lord, I want to know your way. I want your law to be written on my heart. And so, Lord, I'm going to study your word. And when I read something of a command, it's not that I might earn your favor or earn your love. It's so that I can express how you've won me, how you've saved me, how you've set me apart. It's not meant to bring another yoke, another burden to your life. You're not meant to read something. Believe me, I remember reading in, in James 4, it talks about if you know what good you ought to do and don't do it, that is a sin. I thought, oh, it's not just my bad actions. It's when I don't act well that that's also a sin. But that's not meant to bring an extra burden to my life. It's meant to show me the way of Jesus. And that by his grace, empowered by his spirit, like we heard last week, we can live this life, amen? That we might walk this out because he's trying to make himself a beautiful bride. The picture of the church, us, as walking testimonies of our Savior, Jesus Christ. That is God's heart in the law. And the first thing that I want us to understand is that the new law is completely reliant on the cross of Christ. The new law is completely reliant on the cross of Jesus Christ. I love it from verse 11. You may have noticed it as we ran through. Paul is really kicking in. Verse 11, it says, see what large letters I use as I write to you in my own hand. Now, what would have probably happened as Paul was penning a number of, of epistles, of letters to these different churches, he'd have had a scribe. And some scholars think at this point, Paul grabs the pen. He is sick of people living bound up. This is so anti the gospel. It might just be any other world religion if we just go by works, by seeking to attain the favor of God. And so Paul's like, I've had enough. And he grabs the pen. And he talks about trying to win God's approval through works of the flesh, specifically for that community. It was around circumcision at that time. And then he says this in verse 14. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through the which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is Paul saying? He's saying that the way, the law of Christ is fully reliant on Jesus. It's reliant on his death on his burial, and on his resurrection. It glories, it boasts, it rejoices in the cross. Why? That's surely something so strange. The cross is an instrument of torture. That's like saying, I, I glory in the electric chair or the lethal injection. What, why is Paul saying this? Why? Because as followers of Jesus, the cross, cross represents life and life in its fullness. It represents our forgiveness of sins. It represents all of our brokenness and all of our flaws. And it represents Jesus washing the slate clean. 
It represents the wrath of God that should have been poured out on you and I. What we should have is condemnation. What we deserve is eternal separation from God. What we deserve is a life trying to grasp for significance and acceptance and security. And what the cross says is God says, no, I want you to have a different way. A way in which you have life and significance and acceptance and security found in me. For the believers, followers of Jesus, the cross is life. And so I resolve not to boast in my own works. When I kneel before the throne of God when I die, when I stand in his holy presence, when I stand before the creator of heaven and earth, the holy one, the one who is wholly distinct and different, when I wonder to myself, why am I joining the heavenly host? Why am I in this pure, beautiful, magnificent place? My only answer will be the cross of Jesus Christ. I don't know about yours. Hey, if you want to bring your good works, then feel free. If you want to bring your time serving for a couple of years on a charity, then go ahead. But I know that my ticket to heaven, my ticket to eternal life and satisfaction and life in God rests in Jesus himself. And when we get this, life and freedom can come. Believe me, church. And there is a law, there is a way, there is an expression of faith. But let me tell you this. If you are walking in here today and you are hearing this for the first time, it is good news for you. It is good news for you. Every other world religion in some way or another would tell you you have to attain God's favor. You have to meet this mark and this merit. But Jesus comes along and he says, I have done it for you. The work is finished. Live from this place of life. Live from this place of freedom. Don't try and earn it because I've done it for you. I love it with Jesus on the cross. He's being crucified uh, with a, two thieves either side of him. What a beautiful and powerful picture of the power of the cross even on it. Because one robber denies Jesus. And one thief, he says, surely... This man is the Messiah. Surely this man is the Son of God. And Jesus turns to him and says, Surely before this day is out, you'll be with me in paradise. This man, a thief, one who could do no good works, he couldn't get his nails out from the cross and suddenly get down and live a good Christian life. All he did was put his trust in Jesus. And I am sure that if that weren't in his last moments, there would be an outworking of that faith. There would be an expression of that faith. But did that matter to God? No. What mattered is that he put his faith in the finished work of Jesus. Some of us need to be liberated by that today. If you're a follower of Jesus and someone to ask you, where are you going to go where you die? I don't want you to stutter or falter. I want you to know that you're going to be in the presence of your king. I want you to know that you're going to be rejoicing eternally with your God. Why? Why? Because we boast in the finished work of the cross. Are you with me, church? Because there is life in Jesus. The new law is reliant completely on Jesus. Him at work in us and through us. 
It is only in knowing this grace that we can love God and then love people. One of my favorite verses, I talk about it all the time. I'm sorry if you've heard me talk about this verse, but it's in Titus 2, verse 11 and 12. And it says this, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. The grace of God manifest in the cross has appeared. And this same grace, I've added that, it teaches us to say no to ungodly and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. I love this because it helps shift our paradigm, helps us understand this this works of the law and, and, and works of grace in our minds a little bit more because the same grace that was expressed on the cross can be at work in and through your life to do good things, to say no to sin and yes to Jesus Christ. We are covered in the righteousness of Jesus. God looks at us and he calls us holy. He calls us pure. He calls us blameless. If you're outside of Christ, the story looks different. But today, the good news is if you're outside of Christ, all that needs to shift if you would go, Lord, I put my trust in the finished work of the cross. I want to make my boast, not my works, not my self-reliance, not my own goodness, but I want to put it in you. And we'll give opportunity for that later on. The new law is reliant on the cross of Christ. It's reliant on Jesus. Secondly, what Paul makes so clear here is that the new law makes loving people a priority. The way of Jesus makes loving people a priority. We see this scattered throughout Galatians 6, but this is a theme of God's word. As as Jesus summarizes it, to love God, to boast in the cross, and to love, to love people. Those who follow Jesus, who walk in the new way, in the new law, make loving people a priority. And we're going to just run through, you'll see some verses that come up. And Paul talks about some really powerful things here. Verse 1, loving people looks like restoration. It says that those that walk by the Spirit restore people gently. This picture, this word for restore, it would often be used for mending broken nets. The whole connotation of this is when you walk by the Spirit of God, when you're a follower of Jesus, what you would do is help make someone fit for purpose again. Love them well enough that you would restore them, prioritizing people so that they might walk again in the life of God. May we be a community that seeks to restore other people, to love them, to call out good in them, to encourage them. How do we do this? Well, it comes in verse 2. It says this, we carry each other's burdens. And what radical statement. It says, in this we fulfill the law of Christ. That an expression of loving God and loving people is when we carry one another's burdens. What does this mean? What does it mean when it's referencing burdens? Well, when we've looked at it, when when I've studied this, what I see is that it can just be anything that seeks to crush our faith in Jesus, that seeks to put us off. And that, that could be practical pressures. We see that in the early church. But this can also be, when we talk about restoration in those in sin, it's it's about correcting 
and encouraging, being a community that is accountable to one another. Not just see, seeing sin in your brother's and sister's life and just ignoring it, thinking, thank God that's not me and my family, and talking about it to someone else. It's going to them and saying, how can I help you? How can I love you? How can I support you? In this, we can fulfill the law of Christ. You know, when I was considering this, we can so often position ourselves as the one that give care or seek to restore. But I want to ask you as well is, how are you being real with someone? In what ways are you opening up your life to give opportunity for people to restore you? To share your burden. Sometimes we can have a false humility by seeking to be the helper, but never the helped. Because a pride in our own heart thinks we don't need it. We do. I need it. You need it. We need help. I remember two years ago, no, I think it was, it was pre-COVID, so maybe three years ago now, I preached a message called United Pursuit. And it was about pursuing Jesus together. And I remember in preparation thinking, Lord, I need to sort some things out in my life. I need a community that really sees me, that learns about me, that's around me enough. They're not impressed by me in any way that I can share them what I'm struggling with, the temptations in my life. I, I need a community where I'm real. And there's lots of spaces and places in CLM where we can have that. We have life groups and some of those things. But in the capacity I was serving, it didn't look like that for me. And so I had to make a, a resolution. I had to resolve to say, Lord, I want to walk in your way. So I invited four brothers. And for the last two years, every Thursday, we meet and we pray together. And we open God's word together. And we laugh and we eat chicken. But we have a community that shares one another's burdens where I can come and let them know what is going on in my life. Church, may we be a people that can take and share others' burdens, but a people that also seek to pass and share. That can be hard for us. Sometimes the rhetoric in our head is, no, it's too much, I'll just bother them. It's a lie. God has created community to look different. His way is higher. That's why it's a challenge. It goes against sometimes our, our cultural backdrop where we just keep things private and hidden and it's just within the four walls. Hey, the family of believers is real. Reach out, share a burden, take a burden. We need it to walk the way of Jesus. His ways work, church. Gabriel, he was really vulnerable last week in sharing about an issue of pornography in his sermon when he was in his teenage years and, and resolving to get free. And, and I've shared from the platform before how this was a challenge for me. In my teenage years, and even I just started my internship here at CLM, and I resolved, I was like, Lord, this is not your desire for me. This is a sin-confess cycle. This is ugly. I don't want this. And sometimes we can go, it's just in our heads, okay, I'm going to sort this out myself. Just me and God, I'm, I'm going to fix this. And God says, well, if you really trust me, just follow my ways. And part of that process, I knew it for me, and it broke my pride, was that I had to tell someone. And you know Jonathan Chandler, I went on the Freedom in Christ course, and, and I journeyed that with him. And by the grace of God, 
I was set free. And incredible. Yeah, we can give thanks to God. I give thanks to God. And this is not just a guy's issue. This isn't just a young person's issue. Maybe that's present and true for you. Let me tell you, don't try and do this on your own. Part of the reason that we seek to do that is to save face. But actually, if we want to be set free, if we want to walk in freedom, trust his ways. Trust his ways because his ways work. It might not look like that for you, but even as I talk, we can consider, Lord, I know that I need to get this right, this pattern of thinking or just this way, this, this ragefulness within me. I don't know what it might be. Maybe go back to Galatians 5, study the list again. Ask God to search you, but hey, we're a family. We're trying to pursue him together. I'm seeking to get my yes well done, good and faithful servant from my father. And so I am going to do anything I can to throw off the sin that entangles and anything that hinders my life. It says in verse 10 that loving people looks like doing good to all. Goodness should mark the life of a believer. And then it says, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Love the church. The way of Christ, the law of Christ is that we would love his bride, his body, the church. They shared what they had. They ate together. They worshipped. They served together. This is the blueprint in Acts 2. And hey, we're not a perfect church. We're not always going to get it right. But love the church. Love your brothers and sisters. If this is just a time filler for you on a Sunday or a religious tick, tick box, that's not God's heart for you. To fulfill the law of Christ isn't to just show up on a Sunday and dip out for the rest of the week. His heart is that this would be your family. I've known that, I've experienced that, and it's beautiful, but it's hard. It can be challenging too, because it means being real. It means an investment of time. It means talking. It means awkwardness. Goodness. There's so much awkwardness that happens in church. It's okay. Just get over it. I think when you work in church, just nothing's awkward anymore. Missed high fives, awkward weird hugs. It's... How are you loving and committing to the family of believers? I don't know what that might look like for you, but I pray that this doesn't fall on deaf ears. This isn't just me saying it because I work here. I work here because the Lord convicted me about the beauty and plan of his church. This has been my home since the age of 12. Brothers and sisters and spiritual moms and dads from all over the world. Why? Because it's my family and I've seen it. You can know this too. Whether you've come here and you're in your late 50s and you feel like, oh, okay, this just might be home for a bit. Bed down. Grow where the Lord has planted you. prioritize the family of believers. The new law is reliant on the cross of Christ. It prioritizes loving people. And finally, it lives for an audience of one. It lives for an audience of one. The new way of Jesus, the cross of Christ, it loves people, but it does not live for them. It loves on them and it serves them, but it seeks first his kingdom and his righteousness. 
It's an overflow. Our, our horizontal relationship should be an overflow of our relationship with our Heavenly Father. And as I draw to a land, I'm just going to invite the band to join me. It says in verse 8, whoever sows to please the Spirit, they will reap eternal life. Notice this verse doesn't say whoever sows to please people will reap eternal life. Or whoever makes their ch church community think that they're perfect will reap eternal life. It says whoever sows to please the Spirit. And there's some sobering verses in here because we understand from verse 5, and it can be a bit confusing, it says that we should carry one another's burdens, but then it says that each one is responsible for bearing their own load. And what does this mean? It means that we're responsible on this earth for loving one another, sharing and taking on burdens. But when it talks in verse 5 about bearing our own load, it means before the judgment seat of God. It means that we will have an audience of one when it comes to judgment. Now, what have I spoken about right at the start? Please don't forget it. Is that we are reliant and boast on the cross of Christ. So when I am judged, it will not be whether I'm in or out. Because if I'm in Christ Jesus, I'm in. There will be a judgment apportioned to me. Each one of us, if we are followers of Jesus also. So please don't get this mixed up. But the truth is that we must live for an audience of one. Paul says it right at the start of Galatians, and I love this. It says, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Am I trying to please people? If I was still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Those who follow the way of Jesus, a new law, we say, Lord, I know that you see me. I know that you're a God who cannot be mocked. I know that your way and your law, it looks like something. It's not just an intellectual belief. It looks like loving people. It looks like expressing my faith because faith, it has a face. It looks like something. But Lord, I'm not going to seek to try and please people or live for people. I want to live for you. And some of us, we need that lifting afresh to lift the fear of man off us and say, Lord, I'm living for you. Because when we live for the approval of man, it can stifle our decisions. Paul was saying here, the reason that you're not choosing God Almighty, the one who cannot be mocked and you're standing judgment before, is because you're scared of people. Church, let me tell you, don't hold back on a decision for Jesus because you're scared of a person or what they might think or someone's opinion. Live. For an audience of one. I'm going to invite us to just stand to our feet as we close this morning. I'm going to invite us to just close our eyes and consider Jesus. So we've heard a lot this morning and over this series. But I want us to, in this moment, if we're willing to commit to say, Lord, I want to follow your way your way that is not my own, your way that is higher, but the only way in which there is life. To say, Lord, I am not perfect, but I thank you that I can boast in your cross, Jesus. Lord, help us to be ones who love people, 
to prioritize them, to carry burdens, oh God, to restore. And Lord, help us to be a people that live for an audience of one. Who say, I'm not just going to live for the applause of people, but I want to live with integrity. Father, help us. Lord, I pray as we worship now, would you come and minister to us? I just want to encourage you maybe just to open your hands. Say, Lord, I'm here to receive of you today. We cannot do it without you, Jesus. To live in the law of love, to live in the way of love, we say we need you. The God who is love in itself, purest form, we invite you to fill us. Fill our hearts, Jesus. For any who are carrying the yoke of slavery, we break it off in Jesus' name. For any who are carrying a religious spirit, I pray, Spirit of God, come and challenge in Jesus' name. For those who have lost their joy and satisfaction in you, Jesus, come and minister to your people. Now we pray. So, Lord, we thank you. We pray these things in your beautiful name. Amen.